Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our recovery pastor, Mike Casey. All right, how's everybody doing? I just want to say I'm honored to be here tonight teaching uh, through the Word. I'm going to actually be teaching in the book of 1 John tonight, chapter 2. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father God, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for for your Word. Uh, Thank you for Calvary Monterey. And just thank you um, that we could be here tonight and study your Word together in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You know, I've actually entitled today's study, Who's in My Corner? And like I said, I'm going to be in John, uh, 1 John chapter 2. But in 1 John chapter 1, John actually talks about, uh, to the readers, about what it's like to, to walk in the light. And John's doubting readers needed to hear this message after hearing uh, false teachers deny the, the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Um, in John chapter 2, he shows us that walking in the light is absolutely possible. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get into the text starting in uh, verse 1. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. Now, that is pretty incredible how John starts that off. He opens it up by saying, my, my children. So he's talking to us like a parent, like a coach would. And uh, something that really made me think about that was, if you think about a boxer or a coach, they're with you, they're coaching you, they're teaching you, they're advising you. If we look at the... Uh, uh, a boxer and his coach, not only is his coach in the ring or in the corner with his fighter, he's actually in the fight with him. And I would tell you and I would say to you that Christ Jesus is in our corner with us. He's in the fight with us. He's walking with us. He's working with us. And uh, he is absolutely advocating for for us. Um, You know, he lets us know that he is there for us. He is like our parent and is going to continue to be with us throughout. So what is an advocate? Webster actually says that an advocate is one who pleads the cause of another before a tribunal or a court. Or I think we've all heard the word CASA, which stands for a court-appointed special advocate. And I, I personally know a lot about that because when I was about 16 years old, um, my dad tried to kill me, not, you know, like, hey, not like, hey, I'm going to kill you. He literally tried to kill me, um, which caused me to run away from home. And uh, after a season of couch surfing, a season in foster care, I actually went to court to become emancipated as a minor. And I remember that day in Alameda County Courthouse sitting there waiting um, nervously for court to start. My, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was really nervous to see my dad. And uh, my social worker actually came out and told me that my dad had actually called and uh, was not going to appear in court. Um, he didn't want to fight for custody. In fact, he told my social worker he did no longer wish to parent. So That was kind of a tough blow. I went from being afraid to see him to longing for him to wondering why he didn't want to be my parent anymore. But as I entered court that day, the the judge actually appointed me a CASA. And uh, that to me was a big deal. She was like my coach. She was in my corner. She was on my side. She was literally in the fight with me. And I appreciated that because it was somebody I could pick up the phone and call and, and talk to her about how I was feeling, what I was doing, what I was going through. She kept track of, you know, how many hours I was working. She made sure that I was going to school, that I was getting good grades. And she was helping me try to develop into a, a mature adult. And, uh, and that I really needed. And as I got to know Christ as a believer, 
it's always kind of taken me back to, to that kind of memory or that kind of thought because when I no longer had that parent in my life, I had somebody that was there for me. But when I started to learn about Christ as a father, um, I think if, you were, if you've grown up with a, a good parent or a good father, it's easy to make that jump from your father to God the Father. But if you, like me, grew up in a, in a bad household, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a jump to understand who God the Father was and that he cared about me, that he loved me, that he was my advocate, that he was in my corner, that he wanted what was best for me. But once I realized that and once I accepted that and once I no longer thought about an earthly father as, as my heavenly father, but my heavenly father as a standalone, um, did I really begin to understand um, and appreciate what God the Father wants to do in my life, how he is down there with me, fighting for me, fighting with me, and wants me to live a prosperous, you know, joy-filled life. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get into verse uh, two. It says, "He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for, for the sins of the world." That's a that's a big deal. That is a huge, huge thing that he is the propitiation. And so, what does propitiation actually mean? He is the payment or the atonement. He is atoned for all of our sins. If we go. Actually, to John 19.30, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? He completed what he came for. He atoned for our sins. He was the payment for us. And, uh, and John wants us to know that Christ not only wants us to walk in the light, he wants us to live in the light, he wants us to be in the light, that he is there for us as our, as our advocate. He is our propitiation. He's paid our debt in full. And that should take a great deal of pressure off of us as believers to say, okay, well now I just need to, to learn about Christ. I need to walk in the light. I need to walk with Christ. And many, many times we have to think, what does Christ want to do with my life? What does he want me to do now that I'm learning to do these things and I'm understanding him and I'm fellowshipping with him and I'm walking with him? You know, it used to really annoy me when I was not a believer, when a believer would tell me that God has a plan for my life because I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't understand that. It was the furthest thing from my memory or my, even my anything that I've wanted for my life. But as a believer, I want to know, and I wanted to know many, many years ago, what was God's plan for my life? What did, why did he allow me to go through all these things in my life that he allowed me go, to go through? Why did he allow the kind of relationship I had with my dad. You know, well, he allowed that because I believe the plan for my life was to use me in the role that he uses me in, to reach people that are incarcerated, to reach people that have no parent, to, re really, to reach people that have lived in broken homes and broken families and who have fought to understand who Christ is and how Christ can literally deli deliver them change them. It says in scripture, he set my feet upon a rock, you know, and once he does that, it changes everything about your life. You begin to see things differently. You begin to say, well, what is it? What does that mean to walk in the light? You know, I love when Nate shares these stories about running because I myself um, have run a few marathons and, uh, Many, many times I like to get up early, early in the morning and run before it gets light out. You know, so running in the dark, you know there's no light. You, you're kind of super hypersensitive to what's around you. You're watching what's around you. And it's okay. It's easy to run in the dark just as it's easy to run in the broad daylight. You have full vision. You can see where you're going. You can see what you're doing. But the interesting thing is, is when you, when you start running early in the morning and as the sun begins to rise, there's that moment or that, that little bit of time when it's not dark and it's not light where it's kind of hard to see and it's easy to get tripped up. It's easy to fall, you know? So for me, it was, I had to either say, I'm gonna either run when it's pitch dark 
or I'm gonna run in the broad daylight because that area in between, that, that kind of that gray zone, that, that area between the darkness and the light always tripped me up. I always seemed to stumble and fall. And when I look back at my, my life and my walk as a, as a, a as when I started to become a believer, I had to decide, am I going to stay living the life that I was living? Am I going to stay living in the darkness? Am I going to stay living a life that's separated from Christ? Or am I going to come into the light? And I had to make the decision to come into the light, not partially, but fully, because that time in between, that distance in between the darkness and the light is the danger zone. It's when you when you can trip and fall. So I always tell everybody that I'm working with, you know, you got to be all in or you got to be all out. You have to make a decision to follow Christ or make a decision to stay in the world. It's your choice. You know, make it, but make an intelligent decision and whatever you're going to do, do it fully. And uh, I think when somebody commits to fully walk with Christ, your life begins to, to absolutely dramatically change everything about it. So let's go on ahead and go into actually in verse three now. And it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So if we're saying that we're with Christ and we're walking with Christ, what is the next thing we need to do? We need to, we need to know what Christ's commandments for our life are. I mean, what does Christ call me to do? How does Christ call me to be? You know, how do I please Christ? How do I learn about Christ? Will you... Do that by being in his word and understanding what his word says and what his word asks you to do. And the only way to actually to do that is to actually you got to sit down, you got to take time, you got to open your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet or your computer. And you actually have to invest the time in yourself and your relationship with Christ and get to know who he is. You know, if you're going to put something together, if you go to Ikea and you buy one of these, these, these dressers that they look really cool in the showroom and they look, you know, well, this isn't going to be bad. And you take it home and you open the box and you're like, there's 6,000 pieces here. And you open the man, and you're like, holy cow, this is going to like take all day. And how do I know this? I've done that. I've tried doing it without the manual. You know, it's like leftover parts, pieces that don't fit. So you actually have to take time to sit down and read through how to do it. And then you can actually sit down, put something together and be proud of what you put together. And so I say that is what we need to do for ourselves as well. As we, we learn to keep his commandments and to do that, we need to know what his commandments are. For whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. You know, John's not pulling any punches here. If you're saying you're doing this, but you're not, you're a liar. You know, it's pretty black and white. And I appreciate, about, appreciate that about John in this scripture because there was an important time in my life when someone told me, but if you say you're doing this and you're not, then you're, you, you're a liar. You, you're not being honest with yourself. You're only deceiving yourself. And I really appreciate about that in this scripture. It says, if you say you're doing this, if you're not, it's not... We're not going to beat around the bush and say, well, maybe you're not. No, you, flat out, you're, you're lying. You, you are a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever says, um, keep his word in him and truly the love of God is perfected. So if you're following the word of God, you're obeying the word of God and the word of God is in you, then there is that that completion, that perfection that goes on as the word settles in us. And we start living, we start walking, we start actually bearing fruit out in our life. I love the story uh, of, of Christ and the disciples walking and uh, the story of the fig tree when he sees the fig tree that, it's, that it, it seems it's in season, that its leaves are in bloom and there is no fruit on the tree and, and Christ curses it, you know. So we're not just... To, look like a Christian and act like a Christian. We're actually called to understand what God's word is, understand how we're supposed to walk and walk. You know, don't just say we're doing something not. We actually should be bearing fruit in our lives. Our life should look different than it did before. You know, if you, if Christ has truly been the propitiation and the payment in full for you and you're delivered, you are found not guilty, then your life should truly and honestly look different than it did before. You shouldn't look like everybody else. You shouldn't 
be like everybody else in the world. And he's going to go on to address that here shortly. And it says, by this we, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. And so how do we, how do we as a believer, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer, find out how Christ walked? The way you find out how Christ walked is the same way you learn how to put together that, that, that dresser we just talked about from Ikea. You have, to, you have to study the directions. You have to understand the manual. You have to, you have to like, do you have this many of this part and this many of, you know, I, I hate those because it's like, I don't like to follow directions. Yeah, it looks like there's plenty of J bolts and A bolts and whatever, but then you start doing it and you realize that you're short, you know, you start getting out in the world and living your life and you find out, well, wait a minute. No, actually, how am I supposed to be in this situation? Maybe I got ahead of myself. Maybe I need to go back to the beginning. Maybe I need to go back and read God's word, God's word and understand how am I supposed to be? How is a believer supposed to act? You know, I think one of the really, one of the greatest ways or greatest areas, and I, I know you've probably all heard this said, is, is if you go through the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs give us so much wisdom in how to act and how to, and I mean, it talks in the, in the book of Proverbs about not moving an ancient boundary stone. I remember the first time as a new believer when I read that, I go, well, what is that? I don't have any land, so I don't know what moving an ancient boundary stone has to do with me. But then when you actually look at it, and if you think about it, moving a boundary stone, you're actually kind of fudging on your land. You're actually stealing you're taking somebody else's land. You know, don't be a surety for somebody, you know. You know, don't be a guarantor or a guarantee for somebody. If you want to ruin a friendship or a relationship, you know, and this has happened in my life many times, you know, loan, loan one of your friends some money and then stress about it and worry about it and then be angry toward him, you know. But what the Bible has taught me about that is if I'm going to give something, I give it. I give it happily. I give it willingly so that there is no opportunity for Satan to work his way back in and cause division in a relationship. So how do I learn those things? I get into God's word, I read the Bible, and I understand, I understand what those Proverbs mean. I understand what those Proverbs are talking about. I understand the Psalms when they talk about, about the grace of God and the gifts of God. And when I, when I read about especially, you know, David lamenting or crying out to God or asking or begging for forgiveness, I understand how I can shape my life, how I can truly be repentant, how I can truly cry out to God for forgiveness. You know, it's that reading the scripture and understanding it, not getting ahead of yourself and truly saying, how is a Christian man or woman to walk? What is the example we have to follow? And there are so many examples in the Bible. And uh, so it goes on uh, to say in verse seven, it says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. So there's nothing new here. You know, this is probably all stuff that you guys already know. And I'm not going to teach you probably anything today that you don't know. But what I am going to do is remind you of the things that you should know. And then if you, and if you, maybe you're a little rusty, you want to go back and brush off. But I, I love this, beloved, I am writing you know new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So we've already known this stuff. We should know this stuff as believers. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, when we begin to change, when our lives truly begin to change, the old ways, the dark ways, they, they, if you think of it as a sunrise in the morning, if you're ever out early, um, I'm actually going to go to Chico on tomorrow morning to see Pastor Roger Scalise, who pastored here for many years. And uh, I, I love driving north early, early in the morning as the sun is coming up over the hills. It, it, it pushes the darkness away, you know, and then it's bright. That is to me how this happens in our life. The more light that comes in our life, the more that darkness leaves our life. And we become truly, and it talks in, in John 1, 1 about it, as if you say you're in the light, 
and you're not, then we go back to the, the then again, that we're not being honest, we're being a liar. Uh, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You know, that's interesting because we, we may say, well, you know what, I'm doing this right, I'm going to church, I'm a good person, I, I tithe to the Lord, I, I, I you know, I, I do what I can do, I'm a part of the, you know, I'm, I volunteer at the church, or I, I, I volunteer with, a, you know, maybe I'm a CASA, maybe I, maybe I work with children that are in court. And that's all fine and well, but it goes on here to say, but if you what? If you hate your brother, right? The dark, whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it's not just about doing a couple of things well. You know, when I first became a believer and I was a, I, I, I did not go into the light easily. I went kicking and screaming at first because I knew there was a truth. I wasn't ready to be exposed to the whole truth and I wasn't ready to completely leave the darkness. I wasn't, I'm just being honest. But when I started coming to church and then God started putting those burdens on my heart, it was like, you know, isn't, isn't what I've done enough? I stopped using heroin. I stopped stealing. I stopped smoking. I stopped drinking. I stopped watching pornography. What? What is going, why, why, why do I have that feeling like that's not enough? You know, I think I've done a lot. I think I've changed a lot. But I kept having that urging like, no, there, no. Maybe you think you've changed a lot, but there's more that you need to change. There's more that I want to do in your life. There's more that you need to do so I can use you in the way that I want to use you. You know, we always ask God, what will you do with my life? Well, I think if he's urging you or, or continuing to try to push some of these things out of your life, maybe he's trying to prepare you to use you in a way that you never thought or even imagined. You know, I, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I give to my church. I volunteer. But gosh, there's just, I really hate this guy. I really hate my brother. Or I really, you know, I really don't like this or I really don't like. Well, that's not God's heart. And that's what, what's, that's what John is saying here. If you like are doing all these really cool things and you, yet you hate your brother, I mean, what, what is going on within you? You know? you know, we can go by the scriptures and the Ten Commandments and we can say, well, I've never murdered. But, you know, when Jesus goes on to say, well, I would, I would go as far as saying if you call somebody an empty head, you have committed murder. That's pretty serious. So, no, there's more. It's a deeper level. It's, it's, it's much deeper than we would just think, you know, like, no, God wants all of our heart. He wants our heart to change, not just a little bit. He wants our heart to change completely. You know, if we think about how leaven leavens the whole lump or we put a little bit of yeast in the bread, it, it infects the whole, the whole loaf or the whole batch or whatever we're making, whether we're making biscuits or bread or some type of pastry, God wants it to be like that for the good. And not just a little good, but all good. You know, be good in all areas, not just in one. I like John Maxwell. He talks about, in some of his trainings, he says, there is no such thing as business ethics. You're either ethical in all things, or you're not ethical in anything. You know, and that's true. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm ethical in business, but ah, everything else, you know, kind of, you know, not as ethical. Well, no, that's not true. You're either ethical or you're not. You're either honest or you're not. You either love your brother or you don't. You're either walking in the light or you're not. And if you're not, you're trying to be in that area that I talked about a little earlier. You're in that gray area and that's the danger zone. That's the area that's going to trip up and you're going to fall and you're going to get hurt. But Remember, we have that advocate, that coach, that father who wants to help us. And if you can just look at your life and say, well, you know, God, I'm really good in all these areas, but gosh, these, some of these areas I'm just not so good in. I, I dislike, I have this dislike for certain people or, I'm, or this or that. And ask for help. You know, if you're uh, in baseball and you want to be a pitcher, you get a pitching coach and you 
you're, you, they work, you work on pitches. You throw pitches and pitches and pitches, you know. If you're struggling in an area in your walk, you can, you can ask God, you can pray, and you can say, God, I'm really struggling with this. So, you know, the interesting thing is God is probably, if you tell God that you don't, you know, I really don't like some people, I, you know, I think God's just going to keep putting difficult people in your life. And I know he has for me. Um, early on in the early years of the bridge, um, I've had some of the most difficult people and I would be so angry. I'd be like, oh, this guy just, he, I, he makes me crazy. You know, I didn't hate him, but Ms. Michelle would say, well, I think God's trying to show you something. God's trying to grow you. God's trying to continue to stretch you so that he can use you more fully. And I think whether you're doing the bridge or whether you're just a parent or wherever you're at in your walk, I think God is going to continue to mold us, to shape us, to grow us. And it's not always in the area that we want. You know, we want to be shaped and molded and grown in the areas that we like, but we don't want to be molded, shaped, and grown in the areas that are painful to us, do we? Because, no, it's ouch. It's like, wow, I don't think that I want to do that. Um, so it says he walks in the dark and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And that's the last place we want to be in our walk with Christ. Because when you became a believer, your eyes, your eyes were open. I love in the book of Acts, okay, when, when Saul is knocked off of his high horse, he's blinded, all right? He's taken into town where it says he is blind, where he doesn't eat or drink. I think it says for three days. And then it goes on to say that something like scales fell from his eyes. And in that moment, I would say to you, then that's when he fully saw everything. That's when he completely saw the truth and his eyes were completely open. So I would ask you, are your eyes completely open to the truth? Or where are you at in your walk with Christ? Are you fully committed? Are you fully in? Do you fully want to be used by him? Um, and I love that about about Saul, because not only was he blinded and then his sight came back, we know that throughout his, his time that this affliction, and it could be his vision, and we, we're not sure what it is, but he would ask God to deliver him, and God would say to him, my grace is sufficient. And, uh, and not only that, he was told, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. You know, I think for us, we're just trying to be better people, better believers, you know, more Christ-like in our walk. And how can we do that? We can, we can do that by learning what the scriptures say. I, and I love this next section. It says, I am writing to you, little children. You know, how did he open up this whole section here? Let's go back to the beginning. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin and if anyone does to know that we have an advocate with the Father. So how are we? Again, in verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. As I said in John 19.30, when Jesus completed his work upon the cross and he gave up his spirit and said, it is finished to telestai, we're going back here in verse 11, like almost like, like you would talk to your kid. You know, John is saying, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And the beauty about that is if your sins are forgiven, it's kind of like a clean slate. You know, I go to court probably two, three, four times a month. And when people go to court, what they really want is they not only want the judge to see that they're doing a good job, they want to hear the judge say that, hey, you're doing a good job, right? And if they end up going to trial, what they want to hear the judge say is not guilty. Because what that means now is any possible or any future judgment or punishment that would have occurred from that offense has been removed. You're not going to go back a month or two later and have the judge say, oh, well, you know what? I changed my mind. 
when that resonance that I'm with hears the judge say not guilty, and I've seen it many, many times, there, there's that relief. There's like, I don't have to worry about this anymore. It's done. It's finished. What did Christ say on the cross? It is finished. Your sins are forgiven. Let's move on. And not just yours, but everybody's. Past, present, and future. Is that not the most amazing thing in the world that you have ever heard? It is for me. You know, you mean my, my sins are forgiven past, present, and future? Yes, they are. You know, I, I like what, how it says, so, then, so I go on a sinning so that grace may abound? Well, no, certainly not. Absolutely not. But know that your sins are forgiven. That's a burden that's been removed from you. That's a pressure that's been removed from you. And I am writing you fathers because I, because you know that him who is from the beginning, I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. You know, if you today are a believer in Christ and you are truly trying to walk in the light, if you're truly trying to understand and learn who Christ is, if you're truly trying to be Christ-like, that's what a Christian is. Someone that is, that is, that is t- attempting. You know, we know that Christ is the only one, the only, only one who has ever lived a perfect sinless life. And yet he was the one that had to go to the cross to pay and atone for our sins, our propitiation. And it's kind of going through that, saying your sins have been forgiven. You are, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And that is not something that is just a one and done. Okay, I'm going to tell you that right now. Because we have been forgiven. We have overcome the evil one. But there is going to be continued temptation in our life. It's going to go on to talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life um, later in this text. But there is, and it's going to go on in, in, in the second half of chapter 2 to talk about the Antichrist or the Antichrist, about the one that wants to trip you up, the one that wants to fool you, the one that wants to pull you back into deception, the one that's not happy that you're are a believer in Christ, the one that doesn't want you reading scripture, the one that interrupts you and puts all those crazy thoughts in your head in your quiet time that just makes everything go crazy so you can't spend that quality time with Christ. Remember uh, for a season I was like, I'm going to read my Bible this much a day and I'm going to commit to that. That's a commitment to myself and it's a commitment to the Lord. But what I noticed was when things would happen or go awry and I, wouldn't be, I was finding myself getting annoyed like, I'm angry. I'm angry at this, this, this guy or this girl that's having this situation because now I have to go deal with that and, I, and I, don't get to, I don't get to have my quiet time. I don't get to read the Bible and learn how gracious and loving and kind God is. Um, so now I'm, in, now I'm unhappy. Now I'm annoyed. So I actually had to go back and change my commitment to be, you know, I am going to not promise how much. I'm just going to promise that I am. And I'm not going to try to, be as, as set in when I'm doing it, you know, and everybody's different. I know that, you know, it's really good to get up early in the morning and seek God's word and see what he wants that you to do for the day. But for me, the busiest time of my day with the residents is in the morning. And so I was finding myself being annoyed and I'm like, well, that's exactly the opposite of what I, what I'm learning. You know, this shouldn't be a chore. This shouldn't be an annoyance. This shouldn't be a burden. So I'm just going to say, God, I'm going to spend as much time with you as, can, as much time with you I can, as much quality time as I can, and as much time learning. Knowing that I have overcome the evil one because I have become a believer in Christ, but he's still out there. He's still out there, you know, wandering around, trying to figure out how to, how to get back in my life and change the focus of my life. Amen. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And that's, that's the important thing is, do you know the Father? Okay. And I kind of want to take that a step further, and it goes along with what I'm saying. Not do you know the Father. You know, I don't know how many of you guys have a Facebook. 
But you can look at that little thing in the Facebook. It says, I have 1,797 friends. Well, that's pretty cool because the only reason you know it's their birthday is because you get the reminder that says it's their birthday or they just got back from vacation or you see the things that they post and that's how you stay involved in their life. You don't really know all those people, right? Facebook says they're your friends or not your friends. They're just people that you know. But what I want to say is here, do you know the Father, right? There's a difference between knowing him and knowing him. You know, you can say, yeah, I know the Father, but, but what I say is you need to know the Father. And to know the Father, you need to understand who the Father is, who his character is. And the only way to truly know the Father is to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time talking to him. You know, like Pastor Jeff said, it's not this formal you know, sometimes it's, you're just driving in your car and you say, God, I just, you know, I just thank you for what you're doing in my life. And I just, I want to, I want to spend some time with you while I'm driving. I just want to thank you for being in my life. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. Just, it's just a conversation. It's not a chore. It's not a duty. It's not, I, you know, it's not like I have this, I have a, uh, I have an Alexa at home. And when I want something, I say, Alexa, put olive oil in my shopping list. And she does. You know, I've added, oh, olive oil to your shopping list. And when I go to Costco, I open my Alexa app and I grab the olive oil and I put it in the basket and I check it off. Well, that's not how our relationship with God is to be. We don't want knowing to God to be just that, or knowing the Father just to be that, that check in the box. We want it to be that heartfelt, no, I want to spend time with the Father. I want to spend time getting to know him. It's not a duty. It's not a chore. It's a privilege and an honor to get to do that. It goes on in verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, you know, let's think about that. Are we, are we, are we serving the things of the world? Are we allowing the things of the world to be our focus? Or are we allowing the Father to be our focus and grateful for things that we have in the world? There's a difference, you know. Some people build their life around what they have. Next door, they built these car condos. And uh, I see people pulling in these really, you know, I, I, I have to admit it, you know, I get a little envious there for a minute, you know. Saw this really nice Chevelle today. And wow, that's just really nice. But some people, I would say, build their life and their world around the things of the world. Do, do you know what I mean? If I get too much junk, I just got to take it to the Goodwill. I'm not going to go buy a million-dollar condominium or a car condo to put my extra stuff in. And I'm not saying that people that do that don't love Christ. What I'm saying is sometimes our focus could be so many things so, so on the things of the world, the things that we own, the things that we gather, the things that we collect, and not on truly what's important. And, and that's, that's Christ, you know. It says, do not love the world or things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's like, what is truly important to you? You know, where, where are you putting your value? Are you putting your value in the things of the world? Or are you putting your value in your relationship with Christ? You know, I've shared this story before, but many, many years ago, when I moved to the area as a paramedic, I, I remember going into Pebble Beach one night um, early Late afternoon, early evening, um, over to 17 Mile Drive on a call. And, uh, you know, it was, a real, oh, it was one of those houses you would just like, you know, it's like this is, if I had this house, I would be happy for the rest of my life. You know, it was a really nice house, really nice cars. We were met at, at the entrance to the house by the, the, the uh, person. I don't know if it was the, the butler. I don't know. It was the person that was, that was overseeing the house. And he led us through the house to a back bathroom where the homeowner had taken his life. And I was thinking, wow, this guy had everything. He had cars that people would die for. He had a house that people would kill for. But something in him was not there. There was, some, there was emptiness in him that the things of the world didn't fill. They didn't provide. And we, we see this and we hear this all the time when, we, when a celebrity takes their life. We're like, wow, they seemingly had everything. But inside, apparently, um, they had nothing. And that's, that's something we really need to stop and think about. Where am I putting my hope? 
Am I putting my hope in the things that I can have in this world? Or am I putting my hope in the things that I can have in Christ? Like, like, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? How can I be used by you? You know, if you seek to save your life, it says in Scripture, you must do what? You must lose it. You know, we must lose it to truly find it. I know that maybe doesn't make sense to some of us, but when you get, to, when you start reading through the Scripture and you start understanding God's Word, it makes perfect sense. It's because it's not the things of the world. It's not my possessions that make me happy. It's my relationship with Christ. And it's when Christ is working with you, when Christ is speaking into you, when Christ is speaking through you, that's a, that is a fulfillment that no money can fill, no car can fill, no house can fill, nothing can fill. That is something that is completely special because that God-sized hole has God in it. You know, nothing else fits in that hole. And that's the way we were designed. That's the way that God designed us to be in fellowship with him. Not to be in fellowship with our cars or our houses. Not to saying that you can't have a really nice car or you can't have a really nice house. But is that the thing? Is that your focus? Is that your passion? Is that your life? Or are you following Christ? And is your passion there? I mean, you can be passionate about Christ and still have nice things, but what I'm trying to say is where is your focus? Where is your main focus? Where is your heart? You know, where your treasures are, there is your heart also, Scripture says. All right? So in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. I I mentioned this a few minutes ago that we were going to get here. The, The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You know, if we look at those categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are, those are kind of the, really the only three arrows that Satan has in his quiver. You know? Because those are the things, and I can say this as a former addict, it was that the flesh that I was trying to please with, with my addiction, you know, and then, and then we go from one addiction to another. You know, I'm, I'm okay, I, I've, I've gotten through this addiction. Now, now I'm going to begin by pleasing my eyes. I'm going I'm to go from heroin addiction to pornography. Now I'm going to start feeding the eyes and, you know, feeding a different side of the flesh. And that, that ever quiet nagging that is in you is, is, continues to say no. No. And that's where you get to the point where it's like, well, what else? What else do you want? Well, let me tell you what else God the Father wants. God the Father wants everything. God the Father wants all of you. Not just part of you, not just a little piece of you. He wants all of you. You know, I would say to you guys that are married, that you love your husband or your wife, I hope completely, you know, that you are fully committed to them. And that's how our relationship with Christ should be, that we are fully committed to him, not partially committed to him. And, uh, and we really have to watch and make sure that we're keeping the things out of our life that could distract us, that could take our focus away, you know. Like it says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, it says, abides forever. And to me, that's awesome. And if we go back to the very beginning, because I always kind of like to end it teaching, because I, I believe that they always kind of wrap back around. You know, we are, my little children, we are God's children. We are children of God. It says it over and over and over and over in Scripture, okay? God is our advocate. He is there for us. He fights for us. He's in the ring with us. He's in the the mud with us. He's in the mess and the muck and the mire. He is the propitiation. He is the completion, the, the, the payment, the atonement. As he said on the cross, it is finished. And then he, the, the, I think one of the most beautiful parts is they didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit. Okay. He came to do, he did what he came to do. He did it in a beautiful way. He did it by living and walking a perfect life, by showing us, not only, not only telling us that we should do it, but showing us how to do it. You know, I'm one of those kind of people, if you're going to show me or teach me something, 
you know, if I'm going to learn something, don't just give me the manual because I'm a guy. I'm going to throw the manual in the trash and say it. I'm going to just try to figure it out for myself. But I'm one of those kind of people, and I'll bet a lot of you are, where somebody needs to just set you in and show you how to do something. You know, let me just, let me, I'm not just going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. You know, here in the Bible, we have the tell. But when, but when Christ gave up his spirit on the cross, and when he was talking to his disciples, he said, I must go, but I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. So I, I would argue to say that we have the, we have the how-to, the, the, the writings of Christ. We have the full canon of Scripture. But I would also say that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That, that I, know, I, I know people say, well, the, uh, you know, the, my conscience is bothering me. No, I think the Holy Spirit is in there screaming at you. Stop it. Don't do that. Don't go there. Stop doing that. You know, it's, it, it, for me, it was like when I figured out it's not my conscience, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit in me telling me, you're being stupid. Stop doing what you're doing. And, and accepted that he is the one that is going to be with me. He's going to walk with me. He's going to show me just like it says here in 1 John that we little children I'm, I'm here with you. I'm going to walk with you. Just like when I was in that courtroom in the Alameda County Courthouse. I didn't know this lady. All I knew was they said, uh, Mr. Casey, we've appointed you a, a, a court advocate. I don't even think they used CASA back in those days. But she was just a really nice lady who sat down and um, um, literally, literally let me cry all over her. And, you know, tears and snot, the whole, the whole thing. And just hugged me and told me that I know it doesn't feel like it today. And maybe it won't feel like it tomorrow. But as you get down the road, you're going to begin to get stronger. And this day, someday, will seem like a distant memory. Well, today it seems as fresh as it ever has. But all the other things that she said to me, the compassion that she showed toward me, somebody that she didn't even know. Um, the, the hugs, the encouragement, those were the things that got me through. And as I became a believer and I read about who Christ is and that he, that he left us the Holy Spirit that is going to comfort us, the comforter is what he called him, and that he's always going to be with us, that there are other believers that are going to come alongside you. And I've had many mentors in my life. They're going to come alongside you. They're going to hug you. They're going to hold you. They're going to tell you it's going to be all right. They're going to show you who God is by living out who God has asked them to be. So it was good for me to see God lived out in men because the only men that I had known in my life were men that always, that were not godly men. So I had no example, but to be able to watch a godly man live and watch a godly man in his marriage and watch a godly man in church. And those are the show me hows, you know, and I think God wants each and every one of you watching today to be that godly man or that godly woman in somebody's life. There may be somebody out there that maybe you don't even know that is, kind of watches you, how you are, or how you talk to other people, and what God is doing in your life. And, you know, is God going to use you mightily in somebody else's life? I don't know. But if you don't know what God's plan is for your life, ask him, hey, God, reveal to me what you would like me to do, how you would like me to be. You know, and enjoy that relationship that you have with Christ because we truly are his little children. He truly cares about us. He truly cares for us. He truly loves us. He truly wants to spend eternity with us. And uh, he just wants us to get it. You know, when I, when I pick somebody up from jail or prison, I just want them, like, just, I just, I want I just want you to get it. I want you to understand that Christ loves you and he's there for you and he'll change your life and everything will be different. It'll never be the same. You never have to go back to jail. You never have to waste another day of your life. You never have to worry about those things that you once worried about. You can get your family back. You can get your life back. You can get your relationships back. You know, it's like playing the country song backwards. You get your dog back, your truck back, your wife back, your job back. And I truly believe that that relationship with Christ, when you understand the depth and breadth of it, 
You understand that God is your father, that he truly wants to comfort you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to walk through you, walk with you through the darkness and into the light. And he wants you to stay in the light once you're in the light. And uh, so I would ask everybody watching today just to kind of, just to look at your life and make sure that you're, you're, you're walking with Christ, that you're continually understanding Christ. As a counselor and even as a paramedic, I had to, uh, every year I had to prove to the state that I had so many hours of what they called CEUs, continuing education units. So once I got my license as a paramedic, all right, and then later, years ago, when I got my, uh, my license as a, a certified drug and alcohol counselor, the state requires me to, every so many years, submit and turn in the hours that I've done in continuing education. There's no requirement in the Bible for CEUs, but it's smart. If you're there, if you're a Christian, if you're walking with Christ and you're living a fruit-filled, blessed life, don't just say, I'm good, I got it continue to put in that continuing education. You know, you know, I guarantee you when you come to church, Nate or Pastor Manny or Pastor Jeff, or I am, we're not going to ask you, hey, did you do your continuing education units this year? No, we're not. But what we are going to do is encourage you to continue to read the word, to be involved in a life group, to be involved in church. Maybe if you've been a believer for a while, maybe to serve at your church, you know, maybe to serve in your community. We're going to invite you to go deeper into that walk and continue to delve deeper into who Christ would have you be. So um, I encourage you to spend as much time as you can either in prayer or in the scripture and let, let the word of God, let the Holy Spirit speak to you, in you, work in you, and help to continue to develop you as that man or that woman of Christ. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you, Lord, for how John just put it, how he broke it down. And for me, I needed to hear that, that, that Christ is my father. He's my advocate. He's the propitiation. He's the payment, the atonement for all the things that have happened in my life. And that I am, that my feet are set upon the rock. Lord, that I know that I have a relationship with you. I know that I'm saved. I know my salvation is secure. I know that I will spend eternity with you, Father. So I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. And I just ask you to bless each and every one of us in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.